This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All hit radio. Welcome to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next three hours, I am your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And we come to you Monday through Friday from 11 p.m. Eastern until 1 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network and our growing family of broadcast affiliates right around this great big world of ours. If you have any questions, send an email to studio at exxoneradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV, And you can always find out what we've done, what we're doing, and what we're going to be up to. Uh, yep, at www.exxoneradiotv.com. Exxonation, this is a special night. My guest for this first two hours of tonight's show is Karen Stewart. Karen's story may seem as if it is fiction. Karen says it's true. I have no doubt. I I should say, I have no reason to doubt, Karen. So what you are going to hear, Exxon Nation, is the truth, as we know it, as Karen knows it. Karen is a lady who has worked for the National Security Agency. She is now a whistleblower. And first of all, Karen, I want to thank you very much for joining us and uh, for sharing your story. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And um, when did you first start working for the NSA? Well, I graduated from Florida State University, having majored in um, a certain foreign language, and uh, I went to work for the NSA in 1982. And what was your function within the NSA? Basically, I was hired as a foreign language intelligence analyst, and that meant that I did research and translated what I researched into intelligence reports and disseminated them to the proper governmental or military authorities who would have an interest in different topics. Now, the story that you're going to be sharing with us sounds as if it's right out of the books of of Ian Fleming or other authors who talk about conspiracies, whistleblowers. Um, Why do you want to come forward and reveal this information using your real name and not hiding behind a mask of anonymity? Well, first of all, I have nothing to hide. Uh, Second of all, it's not just my story. It has opened up a... um, a window into something that is really horribly evil and is affecting a lot Mm -hmm. more people. Showcases that there is something horrifically wrong inside the government, inside the intelligence community, and it needs to be rooted out because I will tell you right now that I think that the intelligence uh, community now is um, 
full of people who are much greater to the United States and the free world than ISIS. We've got about a minute before I have to go to my commercial break. Can you tell us what the mandate of the National Security Agency is? I can't hear you. I was asking you if you could tell us what the mandate of the National Security Agency is. Okay, the National Security Agency, it is, its charter says, or it has said from the start, that they are supposed to um, basically surveil and listen to foreign agents on foreign soil. The, the entire time that I was there, it was emphasized to us that if we ever had a foreign agent or a suspect person of foreign nationality who came to the United States, we were to immediately cease our surveillance of him, meaning uh, listening mm-hmm. or reading letters or emails or anything of that, of that type, and we were to turn that person over immediately to the FBI because we had zero uh, jurisdiction inside the United States. All right, stand by, Karen. Likewise. Yeah, likewise, if Mm -hmm. we had an American overseas and we didn't know he or she was an American and we were doing the same, we had to uh, immediately cease and tell the FBI because we're not even allowed to um, listen to an American maybe in uh, communist China. All right, stand by. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back. Exxon Nation, Karen Stewart is our guest. And Karen and I will be back on the other side as we continue this stranger-than-fiction story, including... The NSA. And wait, it's going to get a lot deeper. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We'll be back. Don't go away. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at www.drgibbswilliams.com. Shamanism is recognized as a method to access the quantum level. Mastery of shamanic skills puts spiritual information and healing power into your hands. Path Home Shamanic Art School, a bonded Colorado certified occupational school, has met rigorous state standards ensuring its director and instructors have the qualifications to teach the shamanic arts. Path Home offers a certification program in blocks of study. Block 1, a five-day intensive, will be held in the beautiful mountain town of Coldale, Colorado, October 13th through 18th, Registration deadline is September 12th. 
Experience Journey Trance, Power Animals, Helping Spirits, Sacred Space, and Life Purpose. Come discover your power. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, in the magical world of shamanism. Call 303-775-3431 or visit findyourpathhome.com. All right, Exonation. My guest this hour is Karen Stewart. She has a story that she wants to share with the world. She wants to get the information out there. So we're giving her that venue. Now, Karen Stewart worked with the National Security Agency. Her story is one that I, all I can say is that it sounds out of this world, but you know what? She says it is real, and I have no reason to doubt her. So, Karen, thanks very much for joining us. Tell us the story. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, as we talked about before, I think it's not just my story that is important for the for the world to know, but it's what it, it means, what it indicates. And what it indicates is that there are a lot of people in my position being um, falsely persecuted and tortured. And um, there is a danger within the United States government that, that Americans and the world needs to know about. And I will start my story with saying that I began working for the National Security Agency in 1982. I had graduated and had an interest in foreign languages, and I majored in in one and had studied a couple of others. And so I went to work for NSA. They did a thorough background check on me. They did a thorough psychological evaluation. They also do IQ tests, and if you're going to be an intelligence analyst, they do a writing test and a host of other tests to make sure that you are fit for the position. Well, I worked there from 82 and uh, did the intelligence reporting for years and years. And in the late 90s, I moved to a directorate called the Weapons in Space Directorate. There, I did research and reporting on foreign weapons development. And in the summer of 2002, I was tasked with doing some research in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom, which was the invasion that we planned that the United States had planned to undertake in January 2003 and to depose Saddam Hussein. Well, I was doing my research and I found out, and I'm going to tell you something that was in the newspaper, so this is not classified information. Mm -hmm. The only new thing about it is that I was the person to discover it. But anyway, I was doing my research and I found out that a Russian company, a private Russian company, had developed GPS jammers that were specific to American weaponry. Well, this meant that our uh, pinpoint accurate uh, weapons, such as Tomahawk missiles and things like that, would not be precise. They would go astray. And when you have a missile that's going astray, you're going to hit something that you don't mean to hit, like civilians. And the Iraqis were already moving their defenses, their defenses into the population areas and near schools, near mosques and neighborhoods, so that we didn't dare try to hit them because we might hit and kill hundreds of civilians. So this, this information was extraordinarily, extraordinarily important. So I wrote some of the reports up, and a technical uh, friend of mine uh, took it to the head of weapons in space, the office chief, and he at first didn't really want to report it, which we didn't really quite understand. But uh, my friend went to his uh, old friends. He was an ex-Marine. He went to his friends at the Pentagon, and they pretty much demanded that my set of reports be let um, be sent out. So I started sending out reports and fielded a lot of questions uh, from Pentagon officials, military, and other types of people. And these reports were very well received. And in fact, they engendered a probably a 200-person uh, program to try and counter the countermeasures that the Iraqis had planned for us. So that went well through the summer. And in, the, in January 2003, uh, the invasion went quite well. In fact, the news media actually reported that there was a surprisingly uh, few number of casualties, and in all essence, the invasion had been uh, bloodless and successful. So we were all happy with that type of success, and um, things continued. I went on to a new new um, new project, and in the spring of 2003, um, many of us got awards. And I was even told by upper management, some people in the upper management, that I could probably expect a promotion at some point. And I thought that was great. You know, if it happened, that would be nice. 
Um, the next year, I was put in for promotion by my branch chief. And then a few days later, she reported to me. She said, Karen, I put you in for a promotion, but somebody removed you. And I said, well, do we know why? And she said, no, I'm afraid I don't, but maybe next year. And I said, okay. And so, um, again, I went back to doing my regular work. And a few months after that, a Weapons in Space um, promotion board member sought me out. I didn't know her, but she came to me and she said, Karen, I wanted to ask you a few questions about the the uh, the program that you were basically leading. And uh, I said, yes. And she said, well, who did these particular tasks? And she named certain things. And I said, well, I did that. And uh, she named one task. I said, well, that was my, my technical person. He did that. And she said, well, if you did all this and he did this particular thing, what did Rita do on your project? And I said, you know, I named her full name. And she said, yes, that's who I'm talking about. I said, well, she wasn't on the project at all. And so the woman looked at me and she said, you're sure? I said, yes, I would know who was on that project. And um, she said, well, the um, office chief and the technical lead, Suzette, for your branch and Rita all claimed that the work that I just asked you about was her work. And we just gave her a double promotion for your work. Well, I was absolutely stunned and I couldn't believe such a betrayal. So I thanked her for the information, and I wondered if she had ulterior motives, if what she told me was true. So I started making some inquiries. And as soon as I started making some inquiries, lo and behold, Suzette, my technical lead, uh, screamed an accusation across the office one morning as I walked in that I had leaked a particular newspaper article about NSA computers to the Baltimore Sun. And I had no idea what she was talking about. And if you leak information, you can at least be fired, if not go to prison. So I went over to her desk to see what in the world she was talking about. And I looked, and she showed me a huge article in the Baltimore Sun. And I started to look at it, and I thought, well, maybe it was her bizarre way of kidding me. Maybe the author's name is Karen Stewart, since that's a, a very common name. And I looked, and the reporter was not named Karen Stewart at all. And uh, I started reading the the article and there was nothing in it that I knew about and frankly it got so technical uh, so quickly that I really wasn't even understanding what I was, was what I was reading so I looked up and I said how in the world does this is this my article I said I don't even understand the technical jargon and she was a like I said she was my technical lead and she had very often criticized me for not being more technically adept and so I said, well, how could I write such a such an article? Sure. And she very quietly said, just kidding. And so that was the end of the conversation. So I went back to my desk, absolutely, totally astonished and wondering what in the world was her problem. And within 15 minutes, I got a call from uh, NSA security and they said, well, we want you to come down for a routine polygraph. And I thought, no, this isn't a routine polygraph. Somebody in the office heard her yell that accusation, and they reported me. And so, and and uh, a routine polygraph is done every five years, and we were two years away from that for me. So I went down knowing that this was about the false accusation. So I went to NSA security, and a an, uh, man named Joe said he would he was going to be the polygraph examiner. So I went to the hallway where they have many polygraph rooms, and he and I stood outside the room for two, two to three minutes. But what he was doing was he was waiting for everybody in the hall to go into their respective rooms and for the hall to be empty. So the hall emptied out, and we continued to stand there. Well, he looked around himself. He looked behind, over my shoulder, and when he discerned that nobody was in the hall, then he started to scream at me. And what he screamed was, I've done over 2,000 polygraphs. If you try to pull something, I'm going to get you. And then he walked into the polygraph room, and I just stood there absolutely astonished. And I was, um, the adrenaline in my body had released, and I was slightly shaking because he had verbally ambushed me and screamed at me when he'd been polite and professional the minute before, and then a maniac in a split second. So as I went into the room, I said, what was that all about in the hall? And he uh, basically went into a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde persona, and he said, what are you talking about? And I said, you just screamed at me in the hall. I said, that's not professional, and you may have skewed the polygraph. I said, I'm upset. 
and I cannot take a polygraph being upset. Uh, and I said, I don't want to take a polygraph with uh, with you. You know, I said, I don't want to take one today because I'm too upset. And I certainly don't want to take one given by you. I said, I'll come back tomorrow. I'll come back next week. But I don't want to take a polygraph with you. And I said, because I don't know what's wrong with you. And at that point, he said that if I did not take the polygraph right then, then and there, that he would call the FBI and have them take me into D.C. and throw me in, in whatever their, uh, their prison was, their, their jail for the FBI. So I knew at that point that I didn't want to go down and spend a day or two or however long um, it would be in, um, at the FBI headquarters or wherever they take people. So I said, all right, I'll take it. And I said, but I'm, I'm not going to pass. You've upset me. And so I took the test. And as is usual, they give you the test results a week later, and they called me and said that they wanted me to take another polygraph because I had flunked that one. Well, I had never flunked one. You know, in over 20 years of working for NSA, I'd never even had a problem with one question on the polygraph. So, but I had apparently flunked that polygraph, and I wasn't surprised. And I told them, I said, look, this is what happened. I said, this was unprofessional and unacceptable. And I said, I would like to talk to his supervisor, and her name was Anne. And I started to tell her what had happened, and she hung up on me. Very clearly, she didn't care, maybe because she knew that he was supposed to do that. So I very much felt like I'd been set up to flunk a polygraph. Well, I did come back in a month, and uh, a different, totally different polygraph man uh, talked to me, and he said, well, what in the world happened? And so I told him. And so I took the polygraph. And I thought that I had probably aced it because I felt very good about it. And um, the next week they called and said, well, we want you to come for a third one. And I said, why? And they said, well, we're declaring this one indeterminate. And they wouldn't tell me anything more. So they said, all right, in three months, you're going to come back for your third and last polygraph. Because if you flunk that one, then you're fired. And I just was heartsick. I said, I had no idea what had happened. I felt very strongly I'd passed it. But in three months' time, I came back, and I was sitting in the waiting room at the security building, waiting for somebody to come out and say it was my time to take the, uh, the polygraph. And a man who probably was the size of a linebacker came toward me and towered over me sitting there, put his hands on his hips, and said, So, this is the famous Karen Stewart. And he just was snarling this at me, towering over me, leaning over, and, and trying to bully me. And I just was shocked again, and I didn't really even have a chance to say anything to him when a woman came from uh, the polygraph area, and she said, Karen Stewart, we're ready for you. And so I just got up and left, staring at him, and went with her to the back room. And so we sat down, and she said, look, she said, this is your third and last polygraph. She said, I have looked through your files. I have looked through your other polygraphs. She said, there isn't a problem with you. Why all of a sudden could you not pass a polygraph? And I said, well, uh, it's a long story. And she said, you know what? Let's just sit and talk. Let's not take the polygraph. Let's sit and talk and iron this out for however long it takes. She said, don't be rushed. Let's just talk. All right. We're and going so to have to take a little bit of a break here because I have to take my break. Sure. You need a break, too, because uh, this is one heck of a story. Exonation, Karen Stewart is our very special guest this hour. And Karen, is there a website people can go to to find out more about you and your story? Uh, you know, there is somebody who has featured me and several other people on a website called, and I didn't make this name up, it's called Bigger Than Snowden. And um, I don't mean that as disrespect. Sure. I have infinite respect for him. So that's biggerthansnowden.com. Exonation, right. I'll be back on the other side of this break with Karen Stewart. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. 
Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking sci-fi radio programming 24-7-365. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash xzone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Right, so where we left off was you had been given a polygraph by somebody who just beshiveled you. You knew you were going to fail because the adrenaline was going and so on and so forth. You, you then spoke to his supervisor, right? Right. And she sat and talked with you for two hours. Then what happened? Oh, no, that, oh. that was not his supervisor. Oh, I'm um, sorry. That was a, the third and last polygraph exam. I stand corrected. Um, that I was supposed to take. I had one chance to pass it, mm-hmm. and if I didn't, I was going to be fired. Please continue with my apologies. Oh, that's okay. Um, so this third time, I spoke to a third polygraph examiner, and she said, Karen, let's just sit down and talk and see what in the world is going on, because you've never had any kind of problem whatsoever in over 20 years. She said, I want to know what's going on, because this is your third and last polygraph. If you flunk it, then you're fired. And she said, and you're so close to retirement. That's just, she said, that's just unacceptable. And so I said, sure, I would love to sit and talk to you. So she said, you know, take your time, tell me what's going on. And I told her the entire story, the stolen uh, work, the stolen promotion, the false accusation, et cetera, et cetera. And so we hammered everything out and she said, okay, I think we're ready for the polygraph now. So I took the polygraph 
and at the end of it, I started to pack up and leave, and as, as she did. And she stopped me going out the door. She said, Karen, just a minute. And I said, yes. And she said, look, I'm not supposed to tell you because they're supposed to wait a week to you know look at the results and then tell you. Um, but you passed. She said, you passed with flying colors. It's not a problem here. She said, and in fact, the second polygraph that they told you was indeterminate. She said, you passed that you know, with flying colors as well. It's just that you had flunked the first one so thoroughly and then went ahead and passed a second one. They had no idea what was going on, so they wanted you to take a third, kind of a tiebreaker. And I said, oh, thank God. And she said, I don't think you're going to have a problem. I think this nightmare is over. So I went back to my office and I decided then and there, I said, I'm leaving this office because in order to cover up the theft of my work and my promotions, they're trying to get me put in prison. With false accusations. Unreal. So I transferred out Mm -hmm. into a new office in uh, early summer 2006. At that point, I underwent uh, new job training. And once I got that under my belt, I said, I think now is the time to go to the inspector general, the NSA inspector general, and ask him to investigate what in the world was going on in weapons in space. So I contacted a liaison with the inspector general's office, and I told him uh, a very short synopsis of Mm -hmm. the story. And he said, okay. He said, I am interested. That's exactly what we're here for. He said, can you write down names and dates? Um, It's just the emanations they're hitting me with. They cut it off. They cut off the uh, Skype even. So I apologize. All right, we just had a bit of a disruption. Uh, Karen, tell us what you think happens when you and I are talking and we lose the contact. Well, the um, the NSA basically has decided to target me with what is called electronic harassment by the lay people, but it is actually the usage of directed energy weapons in a mobilized form. And so they have decided uh, since last November 2015 that since I, I ended up suing them, so I'm jumping ahead, I ended up suing them, and since I will not drop my lawsuit, mm-hmm. they decided to hit me with directed energy weapons to try and slow kill me so that the lawsuit does not um, get heard. All right. I was just, uh, I just wanted to explain to our listeners who may have thought, well, what happened? You know, just need to keep them abreast of what's going on. So please continue your story. Okay, well, we go back to the polygraph. Essentially, um, I took the, well, I think we jump at it a little bit. I did transfer after passing the polygraph. We had another glitch, ExoNation. That's why a little bit of the the uneven flow. But please, go ahead, Karen. We're not going to let anybody stop uh, stop this story from getting out. Well, I appreciate that. I know it's highly aggravating. Um, Okay, so I passed the third polygraph and uh, decided to transfer to another office to get away from people who were obviously trying to destroy my career and Mm -hmm. perhaps my life. So I went to a new office, and after doing the -the on-the-job training, I approached the inspector general, and I asked um, his office if um, they would initiate an investigation into the theft of my work, my promotion, and the false accusation that somebody was trying to levy against me to get me put in prison. So um, at that point, uh, the gentleman who I spoke with seemed very interested, and he um, said, for me to write out the details so we could bring it to the inspector general. I wrote them out in an email, sent it to him. Uh, about two days later, mm-hmm. I h- had heard nothing from him, so I contacted him. I called him, and at that point in time, his attitude changed from helpful to angry and uh, vicious. And mm-hmm. he in- basically informed me the inspector general had no interest in my in my case, that he thought that people were promoted at whim, and um, basically he had no... Uh, care as to why somebody was promoted whatsoever and that I was to drop the um, the request. Well, within a day or two, I also was called down to, psycholo- to uh, security psychological services, mm-hmm. and I went in to see a Dr. Dina Wyshynski, who essentially started to threaten me before I could even sit she said that if I did not drop the inspector general request for an investigation, that she would go back through all of my psychological evaluations, the, the every year, you know, five-year uh, psychological evaluations, and she would find something to fire me for. 
And I said, that's just outrageous. And I had had a baseline done by uh, a Dr. Clavel, who was very well regarded. And he essentially said that I was one of the most mentally and emotionally stable and strong people he had ever met. And I informed her of this, and I said, so good luck trying to trump up something against me because I have every right to ask for an inspector general um, investigation. I said, according to the No Fear Act, the federal law that was passed to help whistleblowers, and I said, I'm doing nothing wrong, and um, this is not, I'm not doing something against the law. I have every right to do it. So at that point, I left her office, and um, uh, the next month, I think I told you that I was coming home from a Saturday uh, from Saturday errands, my husband and I were coming home, and we saw a man leaving the side of our house. Well, there's no reason mm-hmm. to have a person at that side of the house, uh, so we wondered if he had been inside the house. So when we went in, we checked the sliding glass back door and found that the mechanism for uh, closing and locking it had been destroyed. Well, I had wanted to call the police, and my husband looked around and said, well, there's no TV missing, there's no radio. So we went all through the house looking to see if anything had been disturbed, and we couldn't find anything. So at that point, my husband declined to call the police. He didn't want to go to that trouble. He felt like they would um, not like coming out there for nothing, is what he thought. And so I didn't call the police, but later on we found that We had missing car keys, any extra key we had, like to the mailbox, the house, and the cars were gone. And we spent time looking all around the house. We'd we'd, uh, find one key was missing, look for it, and then discover yet a second key was missing for something else. So we discussed the fact that it's very possible that he had taken the keys. And if so, then that meant he most likely was NSA. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. They're coming in looking uh, maybe to see what I'm doing wrong when I'm not doing anything wrong. So um, we kind of let that go, and I know right. we should have probably pursued it with the police, but mm-hmm. we didn't. And um, after that, I started noticing that I was being um, followed around at NSA. Um, they would station a man somewhere in the hall near my office, and if I went to the ladies' room, I would be overtly followed by a man um, who walked to the ladies' room and stood outside and waited for me and then walked back as I went back to my office. And they would have somebody tell me to a neighboring office to see a friend or to confer with other experts on something. They would have somebody follow me to the lunchroom and then sit at the nearest table possible and obviously eavesdrop on what I was saying. And then they would have somebody follow me let's, like, uh, to the drugstore, which was internal to NSA, wow. and then follow me back, trying to make me think that they suspected me of something, which was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I had just done work mm-hmm. that saved people's lives. I was told by weapons in space that my reports had probably saved 2,000 or more lives. And so I was very offended, you know, but um, I knew that the false accusation had been made against me, and I'd offered up several witnesses um, to tell security and the inspector general um, about what had been done to me and to vouch for me, but those witnesses kept telling me that they kept trying to talk to these people, and they were rebuffed. They were ignored. Uh, one person said, I am at the point of begging these people to listen to me, and they won't even give me an appointment. They hang up on me. So they're not interested in anything having to do with your innocence. And so this kept up. Uh, it was a fake investigation. And uh, one of my friends from Weapons in Space even called me up and said, Karen, I just had somebody here from security who was doing your uh, five-year reinvestigation. And I said, okay. And he said, well, you don't understand. It's not the normal reinvestigation. I said, okay, then how's it different? And he said, this man came in and was saying horrible things about you. And he said, and then he was trying to attribute these things to me. And he said, Karen, we almost got into a fist fight over this. I said, you're not attributing this falsehood to me. She is nothing of the kind. She has done nothing. And so he basically threw the guy out. He said, I just wanted to call and warn you. And I said, well, what is he saying about me? And he said, I, he said I'm not going to tell you because it would upset you too much. And so I, you know, he, he wouldn't tell me, so I, I left it at that. But it was very clear that NSA security was going to my coworkers and slandering me. And then they were sending people out to investigate who were actually stalking me 24-7. And I knew it was NSA um, security because some of the... 
I have no idea what happened there. Oh my gosh. Hmm. Well, we're not okay. going to we're not going to stop this story no matter what. Where Let's do you want continue. me to go back to? Um where the guy we're, you know, we're going to have to take a commercial break soon. This is really starting to cheese me off because here you've got a guest who has an important story to tell. Somebody or something doesn't want this story out. Yes, I'd say so. But you know what? That doesn't bother me. The truth has never bothered me. What we're going to do is you and I are going to take a little bit of a break here. We've got a commercial coming up shortly. Exonation, my guest this hour is Karen Stewart. And uh, let me see the website that they can go to find out. Well, all you need to do, Exonation, is just go to Google, type in Karen Stewart, NS, you know, Karen Stewart space, NSA space, whistleblower. And be ready to spend hours reading. It's that plain, it's that simple. Everything from newspaper articles to YouTube, it's all there. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Exxon Broadcast Network. And Karen and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue investigating the world of the paranormal, the science of parapsychology, and everything in between here in the Exxon. Whatever you do, don't go away. Karen and I return. As host of Dialogue with Divinity, I am thrilled to join the Exxon Broadcast Network and their growing number of affiliates. My quest for a connection to the divine ignited my successful career path as an international spiritual counselor for over 40 years, an author of four books, and well-known metaphysical educator. My clients call me their spiritual mama. So my job is to offer you a radio show to help you grow spiritually with wisdom and get specific tools from guests who are experts in their field. Tune into Dialogue with Divinity and be part of the conversation with Spirit. My goal, your happy soul. For more information, please visit my website at johannacarroll.com. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7, 365.
Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who would like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. What Happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genix provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life has no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. Karen Stewart is our guest, ExoNation. She is an NSA whistleblower. Her story just keeps getting weirder, stranger, and more bizarre. All right, Karen, take us down the rest of the road. Okay, I believe we left off when uh, my husband and I came home one Saturday morning to find somebody leaving the house and found that somebody had actually broken in the back, not stolen anything, and then in the next week or so we discovered that at least I didn't steal anything obvious like a TV, but we did start to notice that we were missing mail keys, mailbox key, extra house key, extra car key to each of our cars. And we thought we thought that um, it was maybe a failed break-in attempt, um, but then we started to realize it had to be NSA. In fact, two days after that Monday morning following the break-in, I saw a man at NSA just outside my office who looked exactly 
like the man we had seen leaving the side of the house. And I will tell you that he was very easy to recognize because it was a bizarre looking little character. He, um, he probably was probably only about five foot six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Five foot six. And five foot six. And he had high cheekbones, a pug nose and uh, a white beard and white flowing hair, even though he's probably was about 60 years old mm-hmm. and uh, a little pot belly. And so I had noticed him not only because he was walking uh, from the side of the house, but because he had a very strange appearance. And so um, I was rather surprised, but not real surprised, to see him uh, outside my office Monday morning. Well, I went into my office. uh, and Actually, when I passed by him, I thought, hmm, let's just say something. And so he'd been working out of the server closet, putting wires together or doing something like that, and uh, kind of... Um, smirking and smiling as he worked um, and I went, walked past him I said oh by the way that was a uh, nice red t-shirt you were wearing in my neighborhood Saturday because I wanted to see how he reacted and so he looked at me and he blanched he quit smiling and he turned and he walked into the server closet with his back facing me and would not come out and not, did not say a word so I thought well that's kind of interesting so I went into my office it was probably about 7, 7.30 in the morning, and uh, I went to my computer and tried to turn it on, and it would not turn on at all. In fact, everybody in the rest of the, of the office, they were working fine, but mm-hmm. my computer alone was offline. And so I called the IT support at NSA, and they got back to me, and they said, nope, can't figure out why your computer's not working. Sorry. And so I sat there doing paperwork and other things that did not require a computer, um, for the entire morning and when it came to lunch I decided well you know I'm going to stay at my desk and draw this man because I've been drawing as a hobby since I could hold a pencil so I went out and you know took some more looks at him and memorized his features and came back into the office and drew a character of him and so I kept that and come 3.30 or so in the afternoon my computer suddenly was able to turn on and I went out and the man had packed up and left so as soon as he left, I was able to access my computer, mm-hmm. which I found very strange. And um, after that, I started noticing somebody come to check the server closet each and every morning. And so I started to show these people, you know, it would be one man a day, and I would start to show them a, this drawing that I did of this man. I said, do you know who he is? And they would shake their heads or say, no, no, don't, mm-hmm. don't know him at all. And so after I did that, I started to notice that some of the people who would come to check the server closet in the morning um, would actually hide their faces from me. In fact, one man was walking away from the server closet when I came to work, and he saw me put his hand over his face, splayed the finger so he could see through his hand, and just said, oh, good morning, as if he weren't acting in an incredibly bizarre fashion. So apparently um, somebody took notice that I could memorize faces and draw them, and some people did not want me to see their faces. And that was inside NSA, where everybody has a top-secret clearance, at least in that area. So that was remarkably bizarre. So at that point in time, I started noticing, like I said, um, before that uh, a person in the hall would be stationed there to follow me to and from the ladies room to and from any other office that I would happen to go to either to confer with people for professional reasons or to visit a friend Um, I was getting followed and then eavesdropped on in the lunch room and I had friends notice that too and um, I would be followed to let's say the drugstore that's inside NSA and followed back to my office as if I had done something wrong or I was under suspicion And I thought, this is ludicrous because my friends and my witnesses have begged to speak to the IG and to to security to tell them about the theft of my work and the theft of my promotion and talk to them about the false accusation. And nobody wanted to hear their witness accounts. Um, Nobody was interested in my innocence. So at that point in time, I thought, is this that article or have I been accused of something that I don't even know about? So I've never found that out. But this continued and I was stalked and harassed and they even would stalk me to and from my home and work. They would go into the grocery store with me. They would go into a bookstore, follow me around and even um, get within one or two feet of me so that they were very rudely invading my personal space to try to intimidate me. And so I put up with that probably until, that was 2006, and so I put up with that for um, almost three years. Mm -hmm. And apparently NSA got 
NSA security got very um, impatient for me to act out or do something uh, back that they could use against me. So in early 2009, they poisoned uh, a family pet and killed it. It was a beautiful Newfoundland puppy that was about 13 months old. How, how, do, you it, know, how do you know it was the NSA that, that poisoned the dog? Well, we took the dog to a vet, and mm-hmm. then the vet to ask us to take it to a specialist right. and the specialist said this dog has ingested a neurotoxin okay. he said do you have any work going on at the house is there anything the dog could have gotten into and we said no not at all and so he said well the only way for a dog to get this is for somebody to poison him to put this in some kind of food and feed it to him because this is not something that smells or tastes good, mm-hmm. and I would not expect a dog to eat it, but I had to ask you know, that, if there was, was anything going on in the backyard. Was the neurotoxin and, um, identified? Pardon me? Was the neurotoxin identified? No, he didn't identify it. Um, maybe maybe we should have you know, further mm-hmm. investigated that, but we just were in shock, you know, and we had to have the dog put down. Okay. Um, but that was, like I said, that was early 2009, and at that same time, I started being, um, and I've called it, uh, NSA basically had their people start to do aggressive, coordinated aggressive driving attacks to try to cause me to wreck or go off the road. Um, and they were really scaring me because they, what they were doing was dangerous. And so at that point, after losing the dog to being poisoned, obviously, and having uh, driving assaults on me day in, day out, to and from work, I finally went to my new managers and I said, look, here's the deal. This is what has happened. And I had been working there for three years and they were very happy with my work. Um, But I told them, I said, this is what's going on. I said, and this is, I said, these are either the stupidest people in the world or something else is up that is not honest. I said, because this is not an investigation. Stalking, harassing someone, poisoning their dog and trying to run them off the road is not an investigation. And I said, I want this to stop. I have done nothing wrong. In fact, I've had wrong done to me. And I said, this needs to stop and you need to report it, you know, and and take up for me. And so they essentially um, reported me to security. And within 15 or 20 minutes, um, the second guy in charge of uh, security, the deputy, William Zephyr, called me down. He said, well, I need to speak to you. And uh, I went to speak to him and he said, we're pulling your clearance. You no longer have a top secret clearance. And I was shocked you know, and he said, and we are basically transferring you to the travel office where you will uh, file travel reports for people's TDYs and we'll decide your fate as you work there. So I just, I was floored, you know, but I, I reported there. I had a red badge, which essentially was non-cleared. Um, I lost my blue badge, which was top secret. And I worked there for several weeks Well, the travel um agency that um, worked for NSA um, was across the parking lot from security. And as I would come to and from work, I would notice that my stalkers were reporting to work at NSA security. So even though I knew that they were NSA security who had been stalking me because of the people who had forgotten to take off their badges, this further supported my notion that I was being persecuted all right, Exxon Nation, it looks like we lost uh, Karen again. This has been happening over the period of the last hour. Let me just uh, do a bit of a recap here. Karen, are you there yet? No, I guess she's not. We're going to have to recall her on the other side of this break that we have coming up shortly. We're going to continue this conversation with Karen Stewart on the other side of this news break. We are going to. This is a two-hour interview. Now, I've been kind of quiet sitting here listening to the story. Don't worry, ExoNation. I have questions. Questions that many of you may be asking yourself. Well, why wasn't this done? Why wasn't that done? Did you do this? Did you do that? Having somebody follow you within the NSA building, where I'm sure they have closed-circuit TV, does that make sense to you, ExoNation? doesn't make sense to me, but maybe there's, an, maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's an answer. There's a lot of things in this story so far that just don't add up. Am I right? Or am I wrong? Craig says I'm right. There you go. Craig, 
We'll find out more. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Hour two of our conversation with Karen Stewart, a National Security Agency whistleblower, continues on the other side of this break. Strange things happen here in the Exxon. We've seen a lot stranger. And I am sure as the years go on, continue to go on, we'll see a lot more. I'm Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. Don't go away. Don't go away.